Hello. I'm Paul Rose. Some of you might know me as Mr. Biffo, and I'm joined once again on the Between You and Me podcast by my dear wife, Sanya. Hello. So, this is going to be a slightly different episode to normal, given that we're not talking about an album. We're talking about an event. What event are we talking about, Sanya? Mm, what ev- what event indeed? That's right. This week we're taking a bit of a left turn and talking about the moon landing. <laughs> <laughs> was really. it real or was it a yeah. hoax? Could you imagine? No, we are talking, of course, about fish leaving Marillion. Yes. The end of an era. The fish era, indeed, as it is generally known. <laughs> so... It's probably going to be a little bit more relaxed and casual because we just want to sum up, I don't know, the last four albums and the last, well, what was it, 10 episodes. Wow. We've done 10 episodes already. Yeah, I think this is is number 11. No way. Get out of here. Yeah. That's good going. That's good going, isn't it? Before we get into it all, though, we do have one last little bit of music to discuss. And that's the B-side of Sugar Mice. Why Why are you doing that, Sonia? So that you don't hear the sound. I'm not even going to tell you what she was doing, so you can just imagine what sound she was making. Oh, come on. <laughs> I was having some water. <laughs> she was covering Wait, under herself. Under a blanket. Yeah, under a blanket. <laughs> well, not under, in, behind a blanket. So we're going to talk about Tuxon, B-side of Sugar Mice. Oh, straight into Tuxon. Well, yeah. That's not what... Okay, brain is exploding. You said first we're going to talk about the breakup and then get to the songs. Yeah, but just before we started recording, I said, oh, we've got to do Tuxon. Oh, I see. Oh, of course, because Tuxon wasn't a demo. It was a B-side. Yes, Sanya's just given away the fact that we will be talking about the demos that were featured on... Spoiler alert. ...the remaster of Clutching at Straws that came out. Yes. EMI some years back, but we we'll leave those till a bit later. So Tuck's on B side of Sugar Mice. I believe it is at least some band members' least favourite Marillion song. Of all time. Certainly of the fish era, yeah. I I think Mark really? Kelly absolutely hates it. What? It's not that bad. I actually really like it. I, I like al- it. Yeah, yeah. I always like Tuck's Why on. Why do they hate it so much? Do you know what? Why um I've got a curiosity to which I'm hoping you'll answer. Um, when I was listening to the album on iTunes, it didn't have Tuxon on it. It had all the demos. Yeah, and I noticed that. Tuxon was left off. Is that because they hate it so much? Not possibly. I don't know. I, I don't get it. I've really never understood why they don't like it. Maybe they had a bad experience recording it. Well, yeah, I wonder. Because I know Steve Hogarth on the excellent Corona Diaries podcast, shout out to... H and Ant Short, who uh, do a brilliant job every Monday, with unless you're a purple patron, as I am, in which case you get it early. Oh, show plug, off. Plug, plug, plug. <laughs> um, yeah, on that, H, uh, some episodes back, he was asked, and asked him, how do Marillion B-sides get decided? And right. H was slightly baffled by the, by the reasoning, but sort of said it tends to be how much work it took to... <laughs> to how record complex, and write, yeah. How complex the song is. Yeah, yeah. If, oh, it, if they basically do it. I think it, I heard that yeah. one. If I haven't ma- listened to all of their podcasts yet because I'm a bit scared sometimes to get too much information. But what I have listened to, I've loved. Yeah, um, and yeah. I did hear it, I did hear him say that. It's, it's, it's brilliant. He's such. He's a great storyteller. He's a great storyteller, but he's also a brilliant gossip. <laughs> Which we <laughs> he's love. Got, he's such a teabag. Oh, he really is a teapot. I think the word is. Is it? Yeah. What's the difference? Well, I know in real pot life. holds tea. I don't know. Okay, I know. Our, I know our audience. Have, oh, yeah, we've suddenly is, lost. I told you like this. Millennial, yeah. millennial, millennial. Oh God! I now I can't. Oh call. dear. Millennials millennium. jargon. Yeah. Jargon? We told you this was going to be a slightly more relaxed episode. Oh, God, help slightly us all. more casual. Uh, yeah. Go and listen to the Corona Diaries. What was I talking about? Yeah. So I think maybe Tuxon was just. Not churned out, enough. churned out in the studio quickly, and they don't like it. But it's actually got, a, it's got some great Rothers guitar that ding ding, ding yeah. that jangle that he was playing with then, and also it's got a great lyric that is very pertinent 
for what our episode is about um, this week. What's that? Well, the it's fish, and I never realised this again until I looked at the lyrics. Hmm. Um, it's fish using the tux um, in in different contexts, such as it's it's the story of a young guy signing a record deal with a tux on, but eventually rock and roll kills him and there he is lying in state in his coffin with the tux on oh and as fish has said wow. if he'd stayed that's with, yeah. that's a deep message yeah and fish has said if he'd stayed with meridian he would have drunk himself to death wow so that shows you what was on his mind yeah one of the thoughts i had after our last podcast was because we were talking about why you preferred Marillion rock songs when they sound really Marillion like mm. and not when they're doing just kind of like standard rock songs. I was trying to figure out what makes them more Marillion like and I thought maybe it was the level of complexity so that Not always. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask because Tuxon didn't sound very complex but it's a great rock song. Some of my favorite Marillion songs certainly going into the age era are really simple. Mm. I'm not Yeah, gonna... simplicity can really work. Yeah, potentially my favourite track on Season's End, which we're going to get into in the next episode, is probably the simplest one on there. Ooh, I'm not going to ask what it is Mm. yet. Yeah, so sorry if I had to pause you because it just blew my theory out of the water that maybe it's the complexity or layering of the different music or whatever that that makes it more Marillion-like sound, Mm. even when it's a rock song no and uh, i guess it isn't so maybe it's just an x factor of certain it could be an x factor i could be just that i don't think that the look it's actually it's do you know what this is a this is more a question for when we get into the h era because i think there they certainly flirted with more conventional rock music at times not always as we know because they they fully embraced their prog art rock instincts as well. But, yeah, I think it's something I should say for then. Okay. And I, I've got reasons right. why. Okay. I'll, I'll let it lie then. Yeah. It just came up because we're talking about them not liking, possibly not liking Tuxon mm. and us really liking it. Yeah. And I do. Yeah, I bought I it. Too. I bought the 12 inch of Sugar Mice. In Southend. How about that? I can remember buying it. Aww. (laughs) Yeah. Clutching the Straws came out. Things were not well in the Meridian camp. They were at loggerheads with each other. They were still touring way too much. I saw them several times on that tour. The first time I saw them at Wembley Arena, they were starting to be able to sell out several nights at, at Wembley Arena, where I used to work, funnily enough, but not at the time. And... Actually, yeah, I'm sure I've told you this story, but I had my weirdest gig experience ever. Where because it was on the Monday, I went on the Monday, and it was great. You know, partly fish came into the audience. Everyone was like, what? what? Yeah, no wandered through the audience. Or during your uh, concert, during the gig, yeah. Oh. I think during warm wet circles, but don't quote me on that. And then there was another show on the Tuesday, but on the Wednesday they had a big charity show with Prince Edward in the audience. That's random. Yeah. Is Prince Edward a, a Marillion fan? I wouldn't have thought so. Oh. The rumour was that Fergie was, you know, uh, oh, Prince right. Andrew's ah. ex. Um, and uh, I, I, my mate and I, we decided we wanted to go again. So we went and bought tickets from a tout. They all sold out, but we hung about outside and managed to get tickets. But <laughs> it was my mate, Mike. He's a funny fellow. Mike, he was sort of very tall and kind of gangly and awkward 
Um, and this guy came up to us in pre the gig. We were stood in the audience in Wembley. And this guy came up to Mike and said, mate, mate, can I shake your hand? And Mike was like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> he was a completely kind of innocent sort, Mike. Aww. He... Uh, he and it, so Mike put his hand out, and this guy whipped out a pot of talcum powder and poured the talcum powder all over Mike's hand, and then ran away. What? How random! I mean, I at the time you would thought, have loved that. I mean, I I, I I was still laughing during the gig. I was doubled over. <laughs> That's surreal. And it was more Mike's reaction of just like bewilderment that, <laughs> that made it funny. So bizarre. That is that is. That's the kind of thing that happens to you, though, isn't it? Those kind of yeah, surreal, and to, Mike, and to Mike, who stayed 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 here once and was too shy to mention the fact that while we'd been down the pub, the dog had gone and done a big poo in the bedroom where he was staying. Oh, no. <laughs> he, was too, he was too shy to mention it, so he was just going to leave it. Had, sleep or did you find out afterwards? No, or? I think I think I went in to take some, I don't know, blanket in or a pillow or something and saw that there was the poo on the floor. Oh, no. <laughs> anyway, that is wildly off topic. <laughs> Poor Mike. Uh, where was I? Yeah, so I so saw him twice in a week that week and then again uh, at, at Hamio when they, they did some nights there as well. And I remember the, the, the Hammerspithodian show it lacked something. It was the first time I'd seen Marillion mm. that it felt that they were lacking energy or enthusiasm. How much time had passed since Wembley? That it was quite him? a while. Right. Yeah, I mean, I could probably find out, but it was quite a while. So yeah. It was, yeah, they'd... And I remember at the time being surprised, my God, they're doing more shows? How long is this Clutching at Straws tour going on oh, for? Oh, Really? But it wasn't their choice. It was the manager's choice. Is that correct? Or Yeah, the manager kept putting decision. them out. And that was what was causing tensions, partly because he was on 20%. So he was oh, making more, okay. more than the band were. And that's why he kept putting them out. And as Fisher said, you know, he could remember having band meetings with their manager who was in rehab, having the meetings in the rehab. What? And him thinking, this is the guy who's in charge of our careers. Oh, my goodness. So it was starting to build up. And on top of that, they were getting exhausted and worn down by this relentless touring and living in each other's pockets. And on the Clutching at Straws tour, by all accounts, they'd split into two camps. Fish was partying 24-7, the rest of the band were, but less so because they'd kind of found partners and settled down a bit more. But Fish was, as he said, drinking himself to death. That's not really two camps. That's like Fish and then the rest of the band. Yeah, that's two camps. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's yeah, literally... this camp is solo. Well, that's literally the definition of two camps. Fish and his hangers on. Okay, And okay. the rest of the band. Literally the definition of two camps. I've got a question. Um... Do you know, only if you know, has the relationship between their manager at the time, be, was that affected by this experience or are they still friends now or in contact now? Well, I only know, again, sorry, we're doing lots of shout outs for the Corona Diaries here. They obviously got rid of him at, at, during the, the 90s. but they So they stayed, stayed with him, with him after Marillion clutching stayed at stayed with him for a while, yeah. Mm. They must still be in contact because H mentioned a few episodes back that uh, John Arneson turned up at the Royal Albert Hall on during the sound check. So, oh, okay. So they've still got a good H relationship. Yeah. Yeah. H seemed to get on with him. Great. But we're jumping ahead slightly because. Yeah. What about uh, Fish? Well, no, Fish hated him. Oh, he hated yeah, him. Fish okay. was, well, that's that's what the breakup again. We're jumping ahead. Sorry. <laughs> you know, yeah. Without some sort of structure, it, it, I'm all it, over it's the place. Absolutely, I'm liquid. The reason why they split up. Right. The band now all blame John Arneson. And he and Fish never made up with John Arneson. That was that's what my question well, is essentially. Not as far as I know, but certainly the way he's talked about him in interviews, it doesn't seem like he made up with him. Right. I don't want to go too deeply into the the breakup because it has been well documented. Mm-hmm. Okay. Plus, the the band Fish and Marillion are mates again. They played Market Square Heroes in Aylesbury in two thousand and seven, which was amazing and emotional. 
so it feels like it's a case of sort of raking over old muck to, to no it was just to have a general to put it all in context yeah, you know, yeah what what the snapshot was of that time obviously things have changed yeah since yeah then. but they weren't happy bunnies they didn't fish in the rest of the band weren't getting along john arneson the manager fish certainly blames as being the kind of pivot in terms of their relationship because what happened was Fish gave them an ultimatum. It was me or John Arneson. And the word came back from John Arneson, uh, we accept your resignation. I've read different versions of it. There's the other version, which Fish sort of says he sent separate resignation statements round in a taxi to each of their houses. and But it just all came to a head while they were writing what was meant to be the follow-up to Clutching at Straws. They weren't enjoying Fish's lyrics. Fish wasn't enjoying their music. They'd got in a guy called Bob Ezrin, who many people will know as the guy who produced Pink Floyd's The Wall. And he listened to what they'd been working on and his response was, there aren't any songs here. There's just bits of songs. Right. And went away. <laughs> and they continued, as they still do to this day, trying to piece bits of music together to make a complete piece. And that way of working was frustrating Fish. He but was, at the same time, it could also be that they just weren't on the same wavelength what, where they were in their lives at the time. Because you said Fish, quite was, possibly, yeah. Fish was still partying, the other band well, members were trying he'd, to settle down. he met Tamara Tammy by this point as well. Right. Even the their honeymoon was combined with a promotional tour of America. Oh, there's really yeah. working way so too hard. It was just relentless. Yeah. But whatever had worked before, I mean, as we know, we've listened to the albums, the last two albums, we know how Fish wasn't enjoying it. No. And it may just be that there was stuff building up in him that was coming out the wrong way. Yeah. That he wasn't communicating with the rest of them or expressing himself in the right way or the most direct way or the clearest way. And particularly if there were drugs and drink floating around and exhaustion no one's going to be communicating in the best way as well, you know. And then if if resentment's built up over time, this stuff isn't getting dealt with at the time, so it is all building up. It's it's who's to say that that it wasn't just one thing; it was a multitude of things yeah. that kind but of it exploded means they, and came out. They weren't on the same wavelength creatively because if you've got built up resentments mm. and unspoken issues or you're not communicating well, yep. then how can you creatively flow together? doesn't necessarily mean that what they were creating, they might have enjoyed, enjoyed it on a, at a different time, but because they weren't in a flow with each other, mm. maybe that just didn't help it all come together. Yeah. Well, it didn't. <laughs> Ultimately, it certainly didn't. Yeah. I'm actually cool. Should we talk about those demos now? Now would be a good time to yeah, talk about Yeah, go on then. Demos. Go. So, some of you will be familiar with these. They were... The, the tracks that were on the remaster of, of Clutching at Straws that came out in the noughties. Um, the songs on there, the first one, Beaujolais Day, was actually written during the Clutching at Straws sessions. So oh, it actually really? pre pre-Clutching at Straws. Get out of um, here. But what's really interesting about it is that the it's the music from the song because this is this is the weird thing about these is is there are snippets of fish lyrics fish solo lyrics mixed with music that they then used on season's end certainly coming to it after knowing that solo stuff it was really jarring you found it a, yeah, a bit weird a couple as well of songs, you... a couple of songs i recognized the lyrics and then went to listen to them in the fish solo album that yeah. came out the first one that came out and it was like, what? And then there was one song that I recognized the sound of from future Marillion. I had to ask you which one yeah. it was and then went to listen to that. And it was like, whoa, it was really interesting. Well, Beaujolais Day was 
the one that I provoked the bear when I you interviewed Fish. The... Oh. Uh, oh. That was the one when I interviewed him because I said to him, oh, I noticed that it's the lyrics from, from Fortunes of War on Beaujolais Day. Uh, and I said, how long do you hang on to lyrics for? That was a reasonable question. And he, he really snapped at me. Hang on. What do you mean? Hang on. I don't hang on to anything. They, they're, the lyrics, their words, they're like, they're like a Petri dish that you're waiting to culture and come alive and they have their time anyway. So. Oh dear. Sorry, mate. Um, but yeah, that, that shows you though, that the music, you know, because if it was pre-clutching the straws, it sort of mm. didn't even, the music and the words didn't even go on to the next album, but went on to well season's end musically and then the lyrics were for fish weren't until kind of way into the 90s so what was the the music from Beaujolais Day what was which song does that correspond to season's end literally the title track season's end oh I see ah okay so that one I'm not familiar with yeah and then you've got well there's Story from Thin Wall mixes the track yes. Berlin with Family Business. I recognise Family Business. I was like, I'm pretty sure I've heard him sing about Family Business, Family Business before. And then went to look it up, and the lyrics were basically the same. Yeah, with some. But the sound is different. It's so. Yeah, it was. It was. I want to use a different word other than interesting but mm. it was really interesting hearing the take on on the song with the Marillion band members yeah. and then the sound of it without the band members well both sorry go back to Beaujolais Day because of course there's the guitar in it the solo ends up on warm wet circles as well so it's you can see how they have this patchwork approach to songwriting yeah yeah it's like oh we can take that bit out of there i'm sure it's a lot easier now with things like logic yeah, yeah. and <laughs> then slot in the it day. into somewhere yeah. else they can do it on the fly so which version do you prefer story from a thin wall or family business if, I, if i'm <laughs> allowed to ask you no that. you literally are not allowed to ask me that because <laughs> it's not there's not a competition because it's not a question i can answer because there's all of these tracks so i'll just run down and Beaujolais day story from thin wall shadows on the barley exile on prince's street which became Internal Exile, um, Fish solo track. Uh, Sunset Hill, which became the Fish track, View from the Hill. Tic-Tac-Toe, some of the lyrics became State of Mind, but the music became the eight-year song, the release. They're just, they're, they are unfinished. Right. And so oh, that's true. I think it's impossible to judge them as real songs. I can certainly see why Bob Ezrin walked in there and went, it's not, they're not finished, are they? They, they? But they weren't setting them up as finished songs, were they? No. No, they weren't. They had a long way to go. There's some nice moments in all of them. Yeah, I really loved Beaujolais Day. Um, and which one was the other one that I really liked? Voice in the Crowd, the music in the intro was really yeah. gorgeous. Yeah, there's some nice guitar on that. But at the same time, Fish's lyrics are really half well not even half finished there's there's bits of ideas that became full songs mm. I mean, I'd love to know at what stage in the process these demos all were you know how well clearly they weren't close to getting finished because they didn't finish an album with him yeah but the lyrics really do feel at points like stream of consciousness it it's really hard even when they contain parts of state of mind or internal exile or family business. It's really hard with them to sort of gauge where fish was at. Yeah. Because points at points, he just seems to be sort of throwing words at the tune to see what will stick. Mm. So we're not really able with this in the way that we have done, obviously with the finished albums. Yeah. I don't think we're I able wouldn't, to no. do our psychoanalysis. No, we, no. I mean, and, and I wouldn't, and I haven't really looked at the lyrics deeply. Mm. I thought one of the songs, oh, which one was it? It was like Exiles on Prince's uh, Street. That seemed to me a complete song lyrically. Hmm. No. Well, well, I guess it wasn't because it, it was a demo. Yeah, and also he he dramatically rewrote the lyrics for Internal Exile. So yeah, it, it, by the same token, and I don't know how much of this is comes from knowing where the songs went next in terms of getting completed. 
with H and in terms of what Fish did with his writers for his solo albums. But they sit uneasily. You know, I know I've got knowledge of the future, as it were. Hmm. I sound all powerful, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> I am omnipotent. <laughs> oh, that's thrown me. <laughs> you threw yourself off. I've completely thrown myself off. Oh. Yeah. So, yeah, I've got knowledge of the future, so I don't know if that's why I find the fish and the band jarring. Oh, but that's interesting, because I, di- I didn't. I really liked most of those songs. Mm. Demos. Demos, sorry. I, yeah, I, I quite enjoyed listening to them. It didn't feel, didn't feel jarring at all. Mm. It then- was actually, I was like, damn, I really would have loved to hear that album that future album well you can that never it's happened. called season's end <laughs> you can <laughs> yeah. really does all the music not carry all across it. not all of it but there's certainly been marillion have released bits of demos over the years that have never made you know and the age year that have never made it onto an album and i think that's what we're hearing here yeah yeah they're, they're trying to write some songs yeah and so this what you're hearing is what became season's end Mm. Except for the lyrics. Well, the lyrics became Fish's <laughs> solo stuff. Yeah. So yeah. you can hear the finished album. It wouldn't... Yeah, it's not the same though, is it? Because the lyrics change in one and the music changes in the other. Yeah, but that's what you're hearing is part of the process, yeah. is what I'm saying. Yeah, that's true. You get the finished stuff. And part of that process during the, the writing of what they were doing was Fish leaving. Because that is clearly what they have to do creatively in order to go forwards. And I'm not necessarily talking career-wise, because as we know, neither side ever reached the same heights again that they had done during the 80s. But in order to continue as creative units, they had to separate. Mm. And it's something that I'm going to sound really wanky here, speaking to someone who does creative stuff for a living the 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 creative process isn't something that you you can quantify and sort of nail down it's whatever facilitates the creativity and whatever you're really frowning at me aren't you? i'm trying to understand <laughs> so am i as i'm saying it i'm trying to understand what i'm saying that you go down a lot of dead ends on ah, a creative journey. Yeah, okay. You go that on a lot sense. of dead ends. Sometimes... Is that why you're so adamant not to take these demos as songs? Partly, yeah. Whereas me, you know, for me, it's just like, well, I'm enjoying listening to them. Yeah, it's like, don't... There are, please they don't, are their own things. Please don't read the first draft the of first, something yeah, I've written. Yeah, but it's... I'm saying, like, they're good if they're early drafts. Mm. They're still... I don't need them to be complete finished products in order to enjoy them. No, that's fine. I, I, I like a lot of what's in there. But what I'm saying is don't ever expect what's there to have become a recognisable version of what's there, but more produced. Yeah. What I'm saying is they were some, what you're hearing there are some of the dead ends they didn't take. Yeah. Yeah. Because they clearly didn't. Yeah. Clearly Fish certainly didn't love all the lyrics that were slapped on those songs. Marillion clearly didn't love all the music. Because they didn't develop them further. There was nothing stopping them doing it, but clearly they didn't find it as interesting as, as, as I don't know, Holloway Girl on Season's End. What are you laughing at? Trying not to say to you, slapped on. What do you mean, slapped yeah, on? Yeah, I know when I said that, that I immediately thought Christ. <laughs> you would get in trouble. Gonna, for, gonna, you would get in trouble for saying that. He's going to be after me, isn't he? Yeah. They weren't slapped on. They were injected like a cocktail of chemical antibiotics and why might they yeah you're at my name fish <laughs> what what's happened i don't know what happened to his accent <laughs> that's the way it was it's part of the creative journey you see that's where i ended up <laughs> oh dear anyway so so what happened next well september Mm-hmm. 1988. Would you like me to read you the press release? Yes. That was put out by EMI. Yes, please. Fish leaves Marillion. 
It is with regret that Marillion announced a change in their lineup. It has been mutually agreed by all five members that Fish leave the band. During the process of writing the new album, it became apparent that the differences, both musically and lyrically, between Fish and the rest of the band were irreconcilable. Says keyboard player Mark Kelly, Marillion have always worked as a democratic unit and will continue to do so. We're currently working on our new studio album and, as soon as we find a suitable vocalist, we'll be recording and planning live dates. Fish's contribution to Marillion has been invaluable, but we all knew that it was time for a change. Steve Rothery, Peter Ravis, Ian Mosley and myself all wish him the best of luck with his solo career. Fish commented, I've had a brilliant seven years. No, you can't do that accent. <laughs> he will be after you. Fish commented, I've had a brilliant seven years with Marillion. <laughs> <laughs> He's gone off the rails now. <laughs> oh, Covid. Oh, no. <laughs> Told you this was going to be a more relaxed episode. Fish commented, I've had a brilliant seven years with Marillion. However, recently, the, I can't do it. I can't do it without wanting to do you that voice. You need to do the accent. I'll just do the voice. Fish commented, I've had a brilliant seven years with Marillion. However, recently the musical directions of the band have diversified to such an extent I realised that the time had come to embark on a solo career. It's not even Scottish. No, I know. I'm very excited by this move and I'm looking forward to continuing writing and performing music and getting involved in a number of alternative projects that I never had the freedom to pursue within the framework of the band. I can't assert in my throat. I still hold a great deal of respect for Marillion and I want to thank them for giving me the opportunity of having reached this point in my career. Final words from Steve Rothery. As a gesture and a big thank you to our fans who've given us such incredible support so far, we are planning a live double album encapsulating Marillion's seven-year career to date. We're hoping to see this released during November. Which <gasps> Is that where these demos no. were meant to go? No, no, oh. a live album. Oh, a live album. Oh, yeah. God. Oh, God. Someone, please wake my brain up. It was the album The Thieving Magpie, which had a weird mix of tracks taken from different live shows that, by all accounts, were massively overdubbed in the studio to replace fluff lines and Aww. bits that were off key, which they had to keep Marillion and Fish separate from. They had to go in the studio on oh, separate really? times. What? That was because how... of tensions? Oh, it got nasty. It got really nasty. It got nasty after the breakup, yeah. you're saying? Well, oh. Fish was still a director of Marillion Inc. or whatever they called their company. Mm. And... There were, again, this is something we'll probably have to get into next time because it really all started to come to a head during season's end. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fish went away, recorded his solo album and Marillion, but Fish, being still being a director of the company, slapped lawsuits on them and tried to stop them recording and said he owned half of all their equipment. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh. It got really, really bitter. Wow, well, I'm glad they worked it out. Yeah, in me the too. End. Yeah, but it was there were a lot of interviews at the time where they all weren't very nice about one another, mm. saying what they could say, barring lawsuits and things. Yeah. So, anyway, wait. Oh. Before we proceed, I would really like to know where were you when that news broke? Do you remember yes. reading the statement? That's and... literally what I was about to say. Oh, next. okay. All I right. went and got a copy of Kerrang! in my lunch break. Wait, hang on, wait, before you start. Did you know that this was coming? No. Nope. You weren't suspecting a breakup was on the way? Nope. Oh. you got to bear in mind, Marillion, oh, well, you do, you do know this. My teenage years have been everything yeah. to me. Uh, so I went and got a copy of Kerrang! in my lunch break at work. I used to work at Labbrook's head office in Rainers Lane. And I read it sat at my desk and I was stunned. It 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 was awful. Couldn't concentrate on work all, all oh, afternoon. I, can imagine. I went home, I rang on my mates and they were similarly shocked because I had lots of Marillion mates. And I remember a couple of days later I went up the road and I bumped into this guy called Paul Carpenter, who I'd been at school with. His response was, Well, now you get two for the price of one. Mm. 
Did it that just, help, or were you, were you just like, bit. I don't want to? But I was still pro- clearly still processing. It's mm. like, have you heard the news? So you had no idea that they weren't getting along? Other than that, well, as I said, that last gig. Right. But then why would we have any inkling? It was all behind closed doors. They were up when it all came to a head. They were writing the next album up in a castle up in Scotland. And it it really... Yeah, I'm trying to put it into words because I remember so clearly how I felt. I think it was just shock. I, but I held on to the the knowledge and the hope that they weren't going to disappear. Mm. That Fish was, was going to do a solo album and Marillion were going to do a decent album without him. I had hope. Yeah. I couldn't imagine anyone replacing Fish in Marillion. The two were inseparable. But at the time, and this is... This is really telling that at the time my loyalties were with Fish. More than More the rest of than the band. More than the rest of the band at the time. Mm-hmm. Because I, I went and saw, you know, Fish did some live shows where he played some of his sort of forthcoming album and stuff. But I didn't go and see Marillion. Really? And uh, how long did that didn't last? didn't even see him on the season's end tour. I didn't see him till Holidays in Eden. Oh, were you off with them? No. Uh, well, I'll get into that when we get to season's end. Okay. Why I didn't go and see them. Yeah. But my, it, it was Fish's solo career that I was excited about more than Marillion's. I was still excited for the, the thought of a new Marillion album. You know, they're talking about, you know, carrying on with a new lead singer. They still go, I was still excited. But the real excitement came from Fish, you know, mm. or, or, or was aimed at Fish. It was them together that was really important to me because even though I'm sort of saying I was excited about the prospect of new fish stuff, something was lost for me. The love affair kind of broke. So we're still at the breakup. This we're isn't still at before the breakup, they've but in the wake released of the breakup, any music. Yeah, I started getting into sort of other, or trying to get into other bands and listening to other music. I wasn't as fanatical, or I ceased being as fanatical. This is me talking about at the time because obviously I've stayed a Marillion fan. Yeah. Uh, and there's a reason why this podcast is about Marillion and not Marillion and Fish solo. My loyalties, that sounds like I've gone off Fish. That's not true. But my my real passion and loyalties have stayed with Marillion over the years. There's been a few bumps in the road along the way, but for the most part, I consider myself a Marillion fan to a greater degree than I do myself a, a Fish solo fan. Mm. But at the time, in 1988, when that breakup happened, I was less interested in Fish solo and Marillion without Fish than I had been with both of them So you, together. you, you lost a little bit of interest in both yeah. parties. Yeah, in truth. To the degree that I had a mate, my friend James, his girlfriend at the time worked for EMI and she managed to get a copy of Fish's first solo album. Like we're talking months early because Fish finished his solo album before Marillion finished Season's End. However, Season's End came out first and EMI held back Fish's first solo album until January 1990. And James had listened to that album, The Vigil in the Wilderness of Mirrors. Seb had listened to it, another friend Seb. I weren't that interested. No way. I didn't really I care. can't believe that. Mm. Knowing how much of a Fish and mm. Marillion fan you are. And, I had the and chance I think, to hear I, it. I mean, I hope that James and Seb don't get offended by me saying I think that you're more of a both Marillion uh, and oh, Fish fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. I, I'm actually a little yeah, bit that's what it did. shocked that it, you didn't want to listen to mm. it. What, what was your reason? I didn't have a reason. It was a feeling. It was just, it's, that was just how I felt. I'd been, my investment had been in Marillion as a unit, Fish, Mark, Steve, Pete, Ian. And that feeling that each Marillion album was an event, each new one was something that, I don't know. I'm really struggling to put it in a word because when you think about it, at the point that they split up, I'd only been a Marillion fan for three years. Hmm. Yeah, but they were a formative three years. Yeah. From the age of 14 to the age of sort of 17. And I don't know. It just I just lost something. I mean, would you say that part of you was disappointed and maybe that 
Oh, I was disappointment gutted. didn't was was getting in the way. I was gutted, absolutely gutted. Yeah, which shows you, doesn't it, that really, even though in these episodes we've talked more about Fish and his lyrics, yeah. it shows you how important, even then, to me, the rest of the band were mm. as part of what I loved about them. Yeah. But, as I said, I still had more interest in Fish. what Fish was going to go on and do. I had faith that Fish was going to become huge and solo star because he was the front man and Marillion no they're not front men there was no question of Pete coming out and singing vocals full time although he did at a fan club gig at the end of 1988 oh really yeah they did they did a couple of shows without uh, Fish or Steve Hogarth where Pete sang and then there was another show where a guy called sorry I've forgotten his name called Dave Lloyd sang vocals on some songs yeah but i mean i guess as well they didn't just lose a front man they also lost a lyricist yeah so you can't you can't just say you know unless the other band members also wrote lyrics they couldn't just step in no by all accounts mark could sing pete sings but neither are front men and neither are lyricists (laughs) here's an example i remember when i saw Marillion with Steve Hogarth at Wembley Arena, which is a show I'll get into at a later date. And I remember Rothers introduced a song and everyone around us were like, what? <laughs> Rothers speaks on stage? Oh, wow. Fish, I mean, Fish, for God's sakes, he's a, he was so iconic. And, yeah. And absolutely one of the greatest was, rock front men of the 80s, yeah. without a doubt. Yeah, he was the face of Marillion. Yeah. And the words of Marillion. Yeah, but weirdly, I at the same time, I wasn't surprised that they weren't giving up. Right. That they didn't decide to just go their separate ways. Mm. And obviously now I love that they didn't because the last, however long it's been, what, 32 years since, since Fish left. That's pretty good going. I've become as big a Marillion fan as I ever was over that time. Mm. That's because... They stubbornly, but quite rightly, realised that their music was was the engine that drove Marillion always, yeah. and that Fish had had very little input into that. That he was the lyricist and the songwriter, and yes, he may have kicked their asses into gear in the early days to get them signed, and he may have been the one that everyone wanted to interview. But Marillion, the rest of the band knew. Mm. that without them, there was no Marillion. So they had absolutely every intention of carrying on and they were right to. Yeah, because you can have great lyrics, but unless you've got great music to go with them, mm. it just it's just not the same. No. Yeah, so that's how it affected me. I was, uh, I, I was gutted. I worried. Worried makes it sound like I was... I was really thinking about it, but I wasn't once the breakup had happened. I was intrigued to know what they'd sound like apart, Fish and Marillion, certainly intrigued to know who they'd replace Fish with because, as we know, literally some big boots to step into. But I kind of had other stuff going on, a job, and I had other bands that I was listening to at the time. It wasn't... I realised that the world musically didn't revolve around Marillion right. anymore. So I got over it. At what point, you don't have to answer this if this is like too spoilery, but at what point did your love for Marillion reignite? This is probably something we want to talk about when we get to season's end. Okay. Because... Um, because yeah, because we'll, we, what we're going to do, everyone at home, we're probably going to do season's end as our next episode. We might be having a break between this episode and season's end because we're going to sort of peg season's end as season as the start of season two. Yeah, appropriately should be called season's beginning. Um, ha! <laughs> Unless we do do it as the end of the series. Season's end, last episode, and then we just do, then it's all the 80s. Could do. 
But I want to have enough time to listen to it. So as long as I've got at least a couple of weeks to listen to it. Anyway. We're and I haven't have, wanted to up till now because we're still in fish era. and We're going to have a week's break before we start season two, with season's end, which is all kind of wrong. And then I'll, I'll talk about what I felt about that, that album then. And we'll also then the following week, I think we're going to look at Fish's first solo album, Fiddle in the Wilderness of Mirrors, which I think probably be the only Fish solo album that we actually cover on this because it is a Marillion podcast rather than Marillion and Fish. There's reasons for that. Uh, but I think there's enough of a holdover from the Marillion era that it's worth looking at to compare and contrast with Season's End. Um, so yeah, so I'll talk about the because the, the point at which my sort of love for them reignited is part of this journey that we're sort of on, mm. and we're not there yet. Okay, yeah, this is the so point. So you're going to which... keep that close to your chest yeah. until we get there. Yeah. All right, fair enough. I, I can accept that. Yeah, and as the people at home should know, <laughs> I'm doing a Marillion podcast. It's fair to say that my love for them did reignite. Yeah, <laughs> in quite a major way. So yeah, so we'll we'll deal with we're having a week week off to give our brains a chance to recover from the fish era. All right, uh, and then we'll we'll come roaring back with season two two weeks later. How has doing this changed your impressions of fish? Given you were yeah. a Marillion fan in a major way, you've just sort of absorbed Marillionness by osmosis through exposure to me. Well, I'd never actually sat down and listened to those albums mm. from beginning to end. You've ever. been more of an H. Yeah, fan. but even even with the H era most of the albums I haven't listened to properly. It's only maybe maybe the last two. So, but certainly Fish Era, I hadn't at all, any of them. And my opinion of Fish has changed a lot, Mm. quite drastically from this exercise. Exercise. Yeah, because in the beginning, so I went into it, you know, you'd, you'd shown me videos of him. We talked about him. I've seen him live in recent years and I've always had the impression of him as being very charismatic, very great front man, a great, he has a great stage presence. He's got, he's got a magnetic personality. He's a storyteller. He's got a really strong presence, but I had no idea how deep he was under the surface i feel like i want to apologize to him i had no idea that his his lyrics were so deep and complex i thought maybe they were just poetic and and theatrical and dramatic for the sake of the theatricality of it for the for the show of it do you know what i mean i didn't realize how clever they were they're really clever. I, they're not clever for the sake of being they're clever. Not, exactly. They're not clever for the sake of being clever. They're actually just, they really are clever. Mm. So cle- my yeah. appreciation for fish has really deepened. And mine, this is the thing. I have been a fan, but because as I've touched on in previous episodes, I've always had this slight thing at the back of my head going, eh, they're rubbish, they're rubbish, because I've had so many people say it to me over the years. But actually doing this and going into it, trying to silence all those sort of misconceptions that, I was a fan of a band that was a bit cheesy or whatever because Fish wore face paint and pretended to kill people while wearing funny helmets and stuff. That actually, be, there was so much more to him than that. Yeah. And I don't, I don't want to make it all about Fish, but this is the last time we'll talk about a Fish, the Fish Marillion era, really. Yeah. Except when we deal with his first solo album, probably. But, but. He he really is a brilliant, brilliant lyricist. Yeah. He absolutely was born to write words. And when we or I say they're yeah, they're clever and or agree with you that they're clever, 
they're clever in how he uses them to get across his emotion. Yes, that's what that's what I meant. Not just mm. like kind of intellectually clever. He uses his words artistically. Yeah. He paints a and, picture. And in the beginning, my experience of Fish was as a performer who sings words, whereas now it's more as a poet or a writer who happens to perform. Yeah. Which is how he describes himself. He's, he says he's, he's, he's not a singer who writes, he's a writer who sings. Sort of seeing it through that lens, I can understand why he may have really struggled with that rock and roll lifestyle, yeah. how it could have worn him out and got him down mm. and created problems with addictions or with substances. Mm. I'm not saying he was an addict, but he certainly had issues with substances to help him get through the endless performing. Cycle. yeah. Yeah. But on top of that, the other thing that really is apparent is how quickly that soured for him and how quickly he started to struggle. Yeah. Because we were two albums in before he seemed, you know, and then Misplaced Childhood, as we we seem to have identified on that, he seems to be struggling with the rock and roll lifestyle then. Yeah. And if you go back to to script for Jester's Tear, even, there he's, he's blaming his own ambitions and his own... Was desire for fame, for for ruining relationships. Even then, mm. so for me, what's really shocking is that after clutching at straws, he continued being a rock star. Yeah, or at least tried because you think, why would you want away. to? You clearly don't seem to be enjoying it. Doesn't why continue? Yeah. I suppose we'd have to go through some of the solo album lyrics to understand that. Yeah. I can I I you know, I get him doing certainly one solo album and kind of feeling obliged to do that and, and to at least try it out to see if he could have but fame and the 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 industry really really didn't seem a fit for him no. I think he would have been far better off writing books and screenplays like he'd been promising to do or pledging to do since the late 80s mm. and he's still doing it now even as he says goodbye to the music industry with Welsh Mertz. he's still saying stuff that he was saying back in 1988 I saw an interview with him on YouTube recently from 88 where he's talking about writing a novel writing screenplays and he never got around to it because he stuck with the music instead. Do you think he stuck with the... Oh, don't, you might know. If you don't know, it's fine. Do you think he stuck with the music in order to pay the bills? Because it was just something that he knew would guarantee yes. money coming in. I think Whereas to a degree, yeah. writing a book was more of a gamble or a I script, think, yes, a I think to a degree, yes. I absolutely do. And certainly when you're in that cycle, album tour, album tour, it's hard to find time to go to concentrate on a screenplay or a book or a... And and as we know, during the 90s, Fish had some serious money issues. Nearly lost his house. He was £900,000 in debt at one point. Tours that lost him money. He had divorces and the like. So there was absolutely with Fish uh, a need to earn money Mm. and a need to do something that earned him money. And I don't want to say that there wasn't still a passion for making music there. But when you look at misplaced childhood and clutching at straws and you kind of go shit why should he carry on but Mm. then maybe what suited him better was fame at a lower level maybe what he struggled with was that being the hot new thing was being in that spotlight whereas in later years his solo career because he was never as successful again maybe it just suited him better maybe he prefers a more intimate level of performing yeah possibly possibly well not necessarily even just performing making albums and the like well he has has a closer relationship with his fans and it's just a little bit cozier and he gets to call the shots as opposed to it being a democracy where everything's a negotiation with four other people yeah he gets to have the final say on the music yeah i guess that's a yeah that's a good point in a band you you can't be a dictator. No. And and maybe for whatever reason, did that suit him better? His it's a creative freedom of it, I suppose. Yes. Is a better way to put it. I'm not saying he was a dictator. I'm 
I'm just saying. Um, yeah, I don't think he was because clearly. I wish I hadn't said that now. <laughs> no. I wasn't thinking of him when I said it. I was just thinking in general when you're part of a band, you have to be able to work as a, a team mm. and everyone yeah. has. But true artistic freedom is not having to compromise. Yeah. That's it's yes. about being an artist, really. Yes. And I think Fish Fish needed that. He he was always from the the minute he joined Marillion, he he was always gonna go solo. Right. I think that was always there. That was the when he joined Marillion, that was the start of his journey to going solo, I think. Right. I think he had to go through Marillion to realise what made him happy. Because being in Meridian certainly did not. Mm. I would love to know how satisfied he's been with his solo career. Mm. Like how fulfilling he's found it. Well, interviews he has admitted it's been tough. And he's done with it now because it's been so tough. Mm. It's been a slog, I think. He's had a lot of lot of problems. I mean, both the per- personal life. I mean, I wish I could say that, you know, this fish going solo was the beginning of some glorious <laughs> solo career. But, but unfortunately, his solo career has had a lot of bumps in the road, mm. a lot of pitfalls, uh, a lot of tours that have had disasters. He's had a lot of health issues. Uh, he's had relationship difficulties and the like but what's lovely is that where he's at now when you see fish doing his fish on friday when you see him with simona his his wife and potting around in his garden he seems happy Hmm. he seems really truly content and he's put out an album that he's he's said he doesn't care if it does well or not because oh, wow. he's, because he's, he's proud come a of it. long way. He's proud of it, and he yeah. says, "Yeah, you know, he said it'll do what it does." He's not chasing because it's the end. It's the it's a statement that he said, "This is the album I wanted to do and put out." This is Welsh Mertz, mm. um, and he knows he doesn't he doesn't have to build up momentum for his the next leg of his career because as far as his career and music goes, it's over. He'll do one more tour, hopefully, when COVID's out the way but he will he will finally get to focus on the screenplays and the novels and the autobiography that he's been talking about for decades because that's really truly what he wants to be doing so it did have a happy ending in the end yeah i love his garden you god you're obsessed with his garden (laughs) it's so cool absolutely it's really impressive it's awesome (laughs) So I'm saying this as a non-gardener who, like, I just find that kind of stuff impressive because I've got no ability. You're a bigger fan of his garden than his lyrics, aren't you? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. So I'm happy for him that he's reached that point, but I, do, I wish it kind of didn't take him as long as it did. That he'd, yeah. he'd been able to it's get been there a, sooner. It's been a long old journey, hasn't it? Yeah. But, yeah, I, I agree from... I, you know, I don't watch Fish on Fridays. Occasionally I've... This is, by the way, Fish on in. Fridays, in case you don't know, is the live stream he does every Friday where he answers questions and plays some music and talks about his garden. Yeah. From what the bits I've seen on it, he does seem... He does really... It comes across like he's in. He's content. He does, And he's settled. Yeah. I think he's had a rough couple of years, but I think he's in a better place... Yeah. ...to reach contentment than he's ever been. And Simona seems really good for him. Yeah, I'm really happy for him. Mm, me too. Me too. It's just a shame he had to be a rock star, really. Yeah. But he was a great rock star when he was. Yeah. Well, technically he still is. He's still got that final tour to do. Yeah, true. True. Yeah. Hmm. So, hats off to your fish. Yes. No. No, <laughs> Okay. That was interesting. <laughs> I was trying to think of a pun. <laughs> what? What do fish wear? I don't. They don't wear I, anything. No, and then fins, I realise fins fi- off to you. Fish. Fins off to your fish. That's. I've got no words for that. <laughs> um. So that concludes our look at the fish era. 
thank you very much. That was quite an experience. And the end of uh, season one. I never asked you if any of your opinions of the albums have changed from yes. before. Yes, you have. I have. We've done it as the albums have gone along. I told, oh. told you, clutching, <laughs> clutching at straws. My great, my great memory. Clutching at straws is no longer my favourite Fish Era album. Misplaced Childhood is. Wow. Clutching at straws is way too dark. And I, musically, great. But lyrically, because we've really delved into Fish's emotions that he was going through at the time, I kind of find it hard to enjoy that album. It was intense. What has really stood out to me listening to the demos and hearing the songs become the music used in Season's End and the lyrics used in The Wilderness. What was it? Vigil in the Wilderness Mirrors. Vigil in the Wilderness Mirrors. Um, They're separate pieces. It just like highlights to me what they are when they come together, Mm. but also highlights to me how important the music was. Because as as great as Fisher's lyrics are, it's like that music yeah. is what made Marillion Marillion. As yeah. much as him, it's like it it, it yeah. it's it's special. Yes. Yeah. And that that's ultimately why my lo- loyalties over the next couple of decades leaned towards Marillion. Yeah. Because I came to realise that even though it was I thought it was fish that I loved about Marillion. I think I came to realise that no, it was really it, yeah. He was part of it, of course he was, but it it was without that music, I would have never fallen as hard yeah. as I did for them. So like the music helps tell the story in a much more layered and complex way. We've said it before, but cinematic. Yeah. yeah. But we'll we'll talk about I think when we get to season's end I think I kind of want to talk about the rest of the band a oh, bit more. That'll be interesting because season's end, even though it's H's first album with them, mm. that really for me that album belongs to the other four. Ah, well it does because H is there as a singer. He does. God, I'm jumping ahead, but it, not all the lyrics are his either on that album. And he came in midway through the writing process. So it, it's an album that was shepherded by the other four. Oh, wow. I mean, just listening to the release earlier, which is like the first thing I've listened to from mm. Season's End, they just seem to come to life. That's all. That's the only way I can express it. It's after listening to Clutching at Straws and hearing just the release, it was like... Spoilers. They Spoilers, so dear. Alive. Spoilers. I can't help it. This is spoilers. The, it's the demo's fault. Spoilers. Stop. Stop. Right. I'm going to stop it there. Yes. Yeah, because you're, you well, want you to talk about to, yeah. season's end. Okay. Enough. Stop saying things. I will. <laughs> my, my lips are sealed. Right. So, yeah, that was a bit of a rambly episode as we feared it would be without structure. We need structure. But we'll talk to you again in the first episode of season two of Between You and Me in two weeks' time. When we start talking about the H era, the Steve Hogarth era, for those of you who think I'm talking about the guy out of Steps. I'm trying not to laugh about the Steps thing. <laughs> yes, I look forward to it. See you then. No, hear you. Well, no. Speak to you then. I haven't finished wrapping up yet. Oh, I thought you had. <laughs> this huge pause. This huge pause. There won't be a pause when I edit it. Oh, okay. Go on then. Wrap up. Uh, please subscribe to us. Check us out on Twitter at BeAmPod. Find us on Facebook at BeAmPod. Send us an email if you want, BeAmPod at gmail.com. Thank you, Fish, for all the words. Thank you for listening. Those of you who have oh, got a terrible outro. Right. Thanks for sticking with us. We'll see you on episode 12 or season Two at one. Yes. 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 Goodbye.
Bye. Yeah, bye. Uh, goodbye, everyone. Thanks for listening to my records. <laughs> oh, God. Thanks, Fish. Thank you.